We interrupt this program to bring you a special report. Yes, One Heat Minute is going to be live at the 2018 Sydney Film Festival. Uh, guys, get along. If you're in Sydney on Saturday, June 9th at 7pm, we have a bumper live show for you. Garth Franklin from Dark Horizons, Luke Buckmaster from The Guardian, The Daily Review and a stack of places, Stu Coote from The Cinephiles and a very special surprise guest coming along. Treasury Room, Town Hall, 7pm, Sydney Film Festival. If you go to sff.org.au, you can check out all the details that you need to know. Um, But I'm looking forward to sharing that with you guys a little later in the run. It is a big minute that we're doing live for the Sydney Film Festival. It is the beginning minute of the infamous, the iconic, the amazing conversation between Vincent Hanna and Neil McCauley, Al Pacino, Robert De Niro, Kate Manolini's Get On Board. This is One Heat Minute. Drop of a hat, these guys will rock and roll. What's your name? Wayne Grove. Look like gangbangers working the local 7-Eleven. Robbery homicides take me. Give me all you got! Give me all you got! I do what I do best. I take scores. You do what you do best. Trying to stop guys like me. A podcast dedicated to all 170 minutes of Michael Mann's L.A. crime opus, Heat, one minute at a time. (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to One Heat Minute. I'm your host, Blake Howard, and joining me for a post-live recording catastrophe freak out do-over recording are the two absolute legends who join me side by side at the american essentials film festival um after a 4k screening of heat um is the legendary and uh enduring one of the last of the original film geeks mr garth franklin the editor-in-chief of dark horizons hello sir hello good to be back and also the biggest and firmest and girthiest leg of the cinephiles tripod, <laughs> um, Mr. Stu Coote. The, thank you so much. The throbbiest. <laughs> the throbbiest. <laughs> the throbbiest. And re- right now we are in what I'm going to call Chateau Franklin, which is the home base for uh, his uh, Sydney Film Festival. Garth um, has a great hotel room and a little bar here that he does on this like sort of film geek holiday. And he this says is, little, but it's not. It's a, no, the, the, the room is little. The bar is intimidatingly big. Um, and what I would say is this is, I don't know if it's the same room, but it's certainly the same location where the very idea yes. for One Heat Minute was born. Really? Yeah. We, are, we are now in the... Same bar as well. Same, same bar. Yeah, drunkenly. Like, <laughs> I was here last year with it. Yeah. 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 That's exactly... I don't remember the night either. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it, that night, gentlemen, was the night that has launched, well, so far, this is the 57th episode of Heat, and it was the minute that we chose to do live um, at American Essentials, and we didn't, um, you know, you would have heard at the beginning of this podcast, as a little advert for our live, actual, uh, live, big bang, I guess you would call it, that was sort of a test of it, this is a big bang, Sydney Film Festival have been kind enough to embrace this experiment um, that you guys have helped me um, mm. fashion into a live show. And so we are busting out the, one of the biggest and greatest minutes in the entire film. The, I think it is the 89th minute, which is uh, of uh, the first 
proper minute of the conversation at Kate and Anna with Al Pacino and Rob De Niro. So um, these guys are going to join me. But we've got to do a do-over because yeah. we had a fun time doing the live one, though. Mm. Well, and can I say to you, congratulations, yes, first and foremost. Oh, thank you. From man. where we started, humble beginnings. <laughs> <laughs> one year ago today. Uh, yeah, around yeah, the... Pretty much it was, Well, actually. yeah, yeah and, and even the first yeah, episodes. Yeah. But to go from that to now uh, live recording at a screening of Heat... Yeah. And now, and then in, what, three days, we'll be at Sydney Film Festival yeah, man. doing this shtick again. Well <laughs> done, you. Yeah, this has been entirely yeah, spearheaded is... by your yeah. efforts and your hard work well done. and your genius. It's and everyone at home listening along and playing yeah. along, oh, which I think there are many people playing along. Oh, and thank yeah. you so much. And look, <clears throat> I don't want to get choked up, you fucking assholes. But um, <laughs> <laughs> um, that was just a cough. It wasn't me getting emotional or anything, I promise. A little um, dusty in here. <laughs> 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 uh, but no, I, I look, it's... A, it's it is uh, one of the most infinitely rewarding ways. If you like, you don't often get to do it, but if you got to watch something, and I know that people do it in like a small way, where you love a movie, mm. and every time you make a new friend, or you've mm. got a friend, or, or, or like you know a buddy comes over and you're like, oh, have you seen this movie? And they're like, no, and you're like, what? It's like record yeah, scratch yeah. moment. Like, yeah. ah, stop, come back. We're watching it. We need yeah. to talk about it. And so I've gotten to do that. And like the best way possible and just like relive heat over and over again with all the amazing folks, you guys absolutely included. And I literally see new things every time. Every episode has not just like, there hasn't been a, some people have gone, has there been a slow minute? There hasn't been. It's awesome. So thank you for everyone coming along. And I hope if you come to see it live that you'll have some fun. And I think you will um, because we always have fun when we record. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's been the part of the shock of this whole thing is that, uh, you know, some films, even some of the films I absolutely adore. If I went through it minute by minute, I'm not sure I could sustain a conversation about that sort of stuff. And then going through this, it's been, wow, pretty much every minute can sustain quite a, quite a bit of conversation. Yeah, <laughs> I, I've been shocked. And even in the, like, we, we did some early minutes together. And, and what you think at the what you think in the beginning is like... Yeah, I, I started with 45 seconds of a black screen. screen. Yeah. yeah, it was fantastic. <laughs> is that, that was... The way I get treated by this show. Yeah, of course, of course. And, and so... Can't wait to do the credits. <laughs> <laughs> Go through who the, best, who the key grip was. There's a minute right there. Hey, don't... don't, don't yeah, don't shout... Be careful shout, what you wish for. Yeah, shout out to Tony Smith, <laughs> the key grip from this movie. I'm sure, you, sure you've done some fine work. But what, what's amazing is that every minute that you get to now, um, what I'm really finding is... Um, the interconnectedness of stuff. And we talked about like the amazing match cuts. We've talked about the echoes in different relationships. We've talked about just transitions of moments and how things build up into larger points or larger thematic arcs. And it's, it's, that's, what's even more amazing is like now finding, you know, finding things that you just never saw in it because I'm doing this weird thing where I'm not watching the whole film in, uh, I'm not watching the whole film all the time, but I'm watching like a well, I call it like a roving caravan of 20 minutes. Yeah. And I just keep watching a 20-minute block and then a 20-minute block and then a five-minute block and they're all around the same thing. So you then start to go, wait, maybe I need to just watch that again because what's great about the minute that you guys are about to listen to um, is that it triggered some amazing thoughts about what happens in the coming sort of 10 minutes that I'd never pieced together before. So we'll jump into that first. Um, you guys can listen to the minute. Now, and then we're going to jump in and talk about it. Hey, baby, time to go. Showed you good time, didn't I? Oh, yeah. You fly. You cool. 
You lying to me. I can always tell when people lie to me. Um, I ain't lying. You a hot dog. A regular rodeo rider. And this was the monster fuck of my young life. <laughs> <laughs> now I got to get my ass street side, sugar. You don't have a truth-telling style. What are you talking about? You don't know what this is. Cool. Not cool, because that minute is dark as shit. Um, you guys would have seen Kevin Gage and an actress whose only name in the script is actually prostitute. Um, and you, we open the we open the scene uh, with Vincent Hanna and his crew. It's the like last sort of punctuative breath of uh, them observing Neil McCauley's crew walking out of their restaurant. What he calls some kind of convention. Mm. Um, he sees all those guys. We just catch the tail end of them. Like th the next time this crew walks out of a place, they're going to get a surprise. Finally, we're like 56 minutes into this movie and the cops look like they might have a lead. <laughs> they haven't really had much of that, anything before that. And then we start to get immersed into an incredibly creepy and objective gaze watching a woman redress herself, a very young woman, an attractive woman. And then as we're watching her shapely body, she's looking, she almost looks like a statue. The camera flips around and there he is. For the first time we've re-seen since he disappeared into the wind, gone is Kevin Gage's Wayne Grow. And shirtless, hairy, yeah. sort of on a bed, tats, okay. heaps of prison tats. And Nazi tats. Infinitely simple yeah. this minute. Like the, the just the, the Two framing. Not, it's not an over decorated hotel room. It's just but even the, the simple things of like not of just having the empty coat hangers. Yeah. Like yeah. it is it's barren. Yeah. Like the drab, the drab covers on the bed. This is a hotel designed by the hour. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> maybe not even. Maybe by the 15, ha 15 to half an hour. You put four quarters yeah. in for an hour. There's a, there's a guy named Lou comes and smacks on the door in about 25 minutes. Very much like this place. <laughs> hey, this is a high-end brothel. <laughs> no, but there is something, there's a... There's a there's a menace in this scene, which is mm. not really present, I'd say, in anywhere else in this the film. This is one of the pretty, the darkest scenes. This is one of the darkest scenes in the whole film. Like, yeah. even so that we saw in the heist at the beginning, the sort of the the aggression and the rage and that sort of thing. And the blackened eyes. The blackened eyes. This is probably the closest thing to that, of yeah. that, that menacing force that, of, that, of evil. Yeah, but that's like an avatar. And now they're taking the mask off, and underneath... It's scarier. Oh, it is. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's, 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 it's scary because it's the purest of the evil system, yeah. as opposed to most of the others where it's motivated simply by greed or by, you know, just wanting to even retire eventually in some way. Well, and I think it's all like, very logical human motivations, whereas this one is just pure sort of sociopath thing, just indulging in their absolute worst incarnate sort of well, id. And as you indicated on the, now that it is a do-over, I'm not going to keep crossing back to what we said there, but it does start with the hunters, of yeah. the, the gaze looking down on the prey going alright that is literally the people looking down on the on the watering hole and there are the lions all <laughs> around going alright this is who we're going after this is who we've got to trap these yeah. these five wild animals that are out there running amok I like the metaphor really. yeah <laughs> then we go back to someone who's hunting preying on something very innocent well but yeah. he's doing it for the he, they're doing it for the thrill of the chase of the baddies yeah. he's doing it for the thrill he's doing it for, for sport as well yeah and his sport is just I wouldn't ensure it's even much of a thought. It's more of an almost a need. 
with him, I would say. You don't think there's a sport element? Do you think he's doing it just... Oh, he enjoys it, yes. But I think there's an actual need with him. Yeah, like... To I, keep the rage going. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's just a one-off it's, thing. It's like it'd, a, be, it'd be more of a sport. He's got, a, he's got like, this empty hole. This, yeah. like... That needs to be filled or quenched, like a thirst that you got needs to quench, and you can always feel it in the way that, and it's a subtle camera move. Like Dante Spinotti's really a beautiful cinematographer in that way because he's not, he doesn't faff about or do any sort of flurries that are unnecessary. The camera just moves slowly, and it's like that. It's a like a creepy movement to appraise her body, mm. and then it comes back to him. And I just think that that's like very much like. He's like drinking it in. This is the satisfaction she has. It. She's completely unaware, and 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 the the minute ends on. I think I think a more almost a more terrifying line I would argue than the Grim Reaper line, which is you don't know what this is. Yeah, like you've been marked. For, your your number's been up for the last oh, yeah. hour and a half. Yeah, yeah. Like you, you your number was up it. when I drove down the street and saw you w- yeah. w- on the corner. Yeah, you were, I, dead, you I, were dead at that. Point, I picked yeah. you. Yeah, and I knew you weren't coming home. Yeah, and I've been playing along the like, uh, and uh, I've even done the intimate like as much as there's an intimacy in their sex. Yes, yeah. but it's not about the sex. But no, but no. it's not. But he's like literally just gone. No, I'm going to take you through this process. I'm going yeah. to pay you. I'm yeah. going to take you through. You think you're going home, and you don't even know. You're so, I'm so evil, and you're relatively naive, probably for someone with street smarts who yeah. is just getting by. Like, probably can hold her own. And she can. You can tell she can hold her own because she does that. Like, she tries to placate him very yeah. nicely. Yeah, like, there's, just, there's, or just pure flattery kind of thing. Well, yeah, because yeah, yeah. you gave me the the most wild fuck, no, yeah, yeah. wild yeah. fuck <laughs> in my young life. Yeah, it's like. You were hot dog. Yeah, and it's like because that's probably <laughs> gone. If you ever fuck Terry guys with Nazi tattoos, trust me, they're not that good. Okay, <laughs> I'm just going to make a note of that uh, for future self. <laughs> Alan Alder with the dictaphone. If you ever find yourself uh, fucking a Nazi, but yeah, the way that she she's probably placated many an angry oh, yeah. or a drunk man mm. like by a bit of flattery like yeah, yeah you yeah. you were king you're king ding-a-ling alright I'm out of here like that's just there's a kind of man who goes prostitutes it's usually a case there's an ego thing that has to be flattered. well we've seen it's another woman and this is actually I'm glad we did this over because it's mm. actually something it's it's the same drab kind of apartment that we've already seen Charlene Chahelis, Ashley Judd be in when she sleeps with Hank Azaria's character. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and De Niro goes in there and there's an angry man who she has to placate as well, with, which is he's a nobody, he's a salesman, he's a nobody. And so you've got it's women with these... Talk, it's the quick talking quick or talking, think on your feet. Think on All your right, feet, yeah, savvy. Yeah. And so you know, from Charlene Chahelis' point of view, she's been this, you know, uh, um, you know, for, for lack of a better term, like a mob wife or whatever you want to call it, very complicit in what her husband does. And then you do the flip, um, which is in this scene, where she's like, oh, you're a hot dog. Big flattery. Thanks so much. Oh, you're, you know, you're so tough. You're not inadequate. You know, she's a prostitute, so she's not saying all the right things that she would normally do just to end the transaction. And along with the words, and you said the camera moves up slowly on her, sort of yes. praising her. Mm-hmm. But the way his body moves... Oh, yeah. He moves with that sort of... You're right about the lion comparison. Yeah, 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 yeah. or even this, he's he's a slow-moving... He's yeah, a, he's a bol- the bol- con- He's a boa bol- constrictor. Yeah. They're just... Yeah. He's, like, I mean, he's in great nick. Like, he's yeah. in, like he's got a he's got a real physical presence, and I'm surprised yeah. we didn't see him more in other role, like oh. did, like in making it as a big... Maybe he didn't want to, or, or maybe he wasn't actually one of these people that was playing, that maybe not going to be the mean guy always going forward. Yeah. But when he 
sort of moves forward with that ease. That's sort of yeah. like the, the suppleness of a, it's like a yoga body kind of yeah. thing yeah. coming in. That's and the thing, it's like, like very smooth. Yeah, and, and it's not like he's going to dart out and, and no. grab her or she's going to run to the door. Man doesn't, man keeps it pretty simple because again, people in these situations aren't going to because she's not expecting, he's lulled her in almost like the, yeah, the yeah. cobra kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, and you're right. He's like, he, like to use like a mixed martial arts and it's funny, he sort of closes the distance and talks very softly, softly and seductively to her. And Those she, eyes. We, yeah, yeah. And, and he's looking, he's, he's holding that eye contact. His eyes are incredible. And she gets really close to him. And, and even at the start, she's like, You're a hot dog, you're the monster fuck of my young life. And then she even leans in and sort of speaks a little bit quietly to him. And, and she so, makes the mistake of going down to yeah, ground as well. Like yes. she, she puts herself in a very vulnerable position under the mm. circumstances. But I think she, but she thinks, yeah, she's like the, it's the whole body position movement. She's done it inadvertently or whatever. She's like naturally oh, submissive, natu- of like going. Yes. you know, she might. She's probably got it. a really angry pimp to go and give. You know, ninety-eight percent of her money. She get paid up front. That's the whole thing. I got the impression that she was a lot of the flattery was she's doing it because she hadn't been paid. No, she got paid because she's putting the money in her purse. Ah, yeah. And that's what I find even worse. Mm. Is that he's do- he's paid her, mm. knowing that he's only going to go rip her off and mm. whatever other you know the hundred and twenty dollars that's also there in her little her little purse. And not to talk too bad of the garbled version of this of the live show, which is which kind of sucks that people can't hear it. Um, but I will reminisce uh, about a very off colour but funny joke. What Stu said, Do you, did he tip? Yeah. And, and that did cut through the garble. That did cut through the garble. As long as my Kevin Spacey joke died, <laughs> no, that died in the garble, good. But died in the garble. But does he tip? I'm still, I'm still intrigued. It's California. They have an 8% sales tax. Yeah, well, there you go. There you go. Back in 95. Was it that in 95? <laughs> but I well, th- to be fair to the actress, though, the, you know, she you said she had a prostitute on a resume, sort of thing like that. Yeah. that. It was the 90s. Almost every actress had a prostitute on a resume. resume. So every actor had cop on their resume. Yeah. <laughs> but, but she's great in the, for the, like, such limited screen, literally yeah. a, a minute of yeah, screen time that we get, almost literally a minute. And it's an impression, impression yeah. yeah. And if you take out, like, because it doesn't quite, it doesn't, and I know I'm not, don't want to jump out of the confines of the minute, but it doesn't really look like her later on when they find her. It's hard to tell because she's been abused and whatnot. No, but. I think, I think that's, yeah, that was my, and again, you trick yourself when you've watched this movie so many times. It's like, I know that it's meant to be her. Like, that's the intent that we've seen yeah. this happen and we've seen a victim. Or maybe it's not, though. Maybe because it's not. Because that's the other thing, that maybe it's... Because the same guy, it would to think that, you know, it does... You know, it's the interesting thing about this movie when people talk about, oh, why do a two-and-a-half to 2.40 to three-hour movie? Because you can allow yourself those little three- to four-minute darts down the rabbit hole. Yes. Like, it's well, this is like a, a it's tiny a, little subplot that never entirely gets resolved. A serial killer subplot. Yeah. That, you know, with a whole world populated by a world, like, yeah. especially, and again, no one to jump ahead to the minute, but it sort of relates in that sense. Mm-hmm. But using Pacino, because we get him from the beginning overlooking these guys, looking after a major crew that we know he's going after, mm. to then go, is it Rachel, the crime scene officer? Because yeah. she's the one that came to the height, to, yeah. the, to the armor guard, you know, get your hands out of that, um, get your man's, hands out of that man's pocket, Rachel. <laughs> and then he goes to her and, he, and she goes, oh, I bet it's the same guy. And it's like, it shows you how much is on his plate. And really important then when he goes back to his wife, to Justine, Mm -hmm. and breaks down of like, do you want, like, I literally just went and dealt with a serial killer. Yeah. Like, in anyone else's world. A serial killer. And I looked at a Polaroid. Yeah, of of her, of 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 an ass hanging out of a trash can. And that is... And in case of, like, with major crime sort of divisions, wouldn't things like homicides and serial homicides take precedence over, you know, 
months long stings. I think if you, it's like they say in the wire, if you're up, you're catching it. So yeah. it's just yeah. when you're on call, yeah, you're going to whatever's there. Yeah. So you and half the joy for police is not knowing when that phone's going to ring mm. and what it is, and you and we see that throughout this film when that phone rings, boom, he's a better person. He's yeah. he's an energized person. He's running. He out loves of his work. But I think this scene is so important to, for man to show you that these these predators are out there and just yeah. lurking around. So it's not and and it it does so much to talk to it talks to it's a beautiful uh, it's a real strong connection which I'd never really picked up before um, and I talk about it a lot in an upcoming episode which you guys are going to hear soon. But it's like a connection finally in a way between Wanger and Vincent like an undeniable connection. Like, Neil has an undeniable connection with Wangro. Yeah. Um, and it's Hatred for a different reason. Like, different, different reason. But Vincent just has, you know, obviously Wangro's actions triggered Vincent's investigation, but this is that further reinforcement of this This plays into who Vincent is and it also ties Wangro into him. So it's this really interesting dynamic there because it's like, it's feeding into his mindset. So, like, the first time you see him when he's like, a bit out of it and he's like I'm sorry the damn chicken gets cold it's like he might seem like a bit of a dick but when you flip it and you see this scene you're like oh no I get it yeah that mm. sucks well and especially for what he said to Justine he's like why didn't you let the people take you home yeah because you're that actually works as sort of guilt on let's put yeah. a guilt trip move on him yeah because you think he's gone he's just come from this scene we don't know if it's like he's got to go pick up Justine then go back home mm. but it's like why didn't you just go back to your real, like back to the real world? Why did you stay in the after party where there's nothing going on anymore? You've stayed in my little place for too long. It's yeah. a weird. There's some nice little touches there. I don't know. Yeah. But I love. I just love the simple structure of this scene and how much man conveys. Because I think other people would try, would go too showy for this. Yeah, you, you would go you, way too showy. And like you said, um, Gar said it made a great point before. He just in a throwaway line. It's like, how much charge does this scene have? And how much lack of resolution do we ultimately get? Because mm. this is an open case. Like at that yeah. stage, at the stage, you know, not to speak too ill of the the end of the movie, but by the time you come up and Neil exacts revenge on Wangro, mm. they don't know that he's the killer. No, no, and, no. and it's not. <laughs> it's probably this is probably the, the the most open lingering scratch of the whole movie. Yeah. Well, yeah. and it's not going to get processed until. No. Nine months later, later when yeah. this is all wrapped up in the forensics of Wang... And they go, oh, by the way, we just we did closed... A blood test. We just closed seven jackets on all those... Oh, or they maybe they didn't. Or maybe it's not that. Maybe they're not. Maybe it's not. Maybe, like, it's, not. maybe it's Maybe it's just one guy. Maybe somewhere else they're doing something. But, mm. I think an unresolved thread like that is like a really... It's like a really great way to convey the world like that they live in as well. well like, there are unresolved threads all over yeah. the place. I think it's one of the great things the Coen brothers are so good at doing. Like you look at Big Lebowski. Yeah. yeah. You go you've you've built up this whole movie about the whole bowling. And yeah. you're like <laughs> anyone else would show you the, the champ- bowling tournament. The championship yeah. game. No. 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 And they go, Oh this and they just leave all these things unresolved <laughs> and you go you come away going, Well, I wanna learn there's I'm I wanna find out more about that. But so you, I, but you end up like, going God, that was a fun place to hang out for a few hours. And it is the, <laughs> and it is the hang. And that's yeah, why like yeah. doing that like doing the the screening just before the episode last time yeah. was so perfect because you're like yeah, like it is just a it's a good hang. Yeah. It, it's still just a great hangout movie. I want to I want one of the things that Stu said and I'll bring it up just as a larger point on heat was like um, he's not in the minute now, but 
how much fun was it for all of us to sit and watch that movie? We're in the same room. We weren't sitting together at the time. And Stu Me said... Me and Stu were sitting next to each other. Was, and you were I, was a little bit, I, was, I was a little bit far, farther away. And Stu said, Pacino's now my MVP. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It ducks back and forth every time. <laughs> yeah. Like, and it's, yeah, but it's, I'm back to Pacino. Yeah. And last time before, it was definitely De Niro when we had, I think for the beginning when we first started. Yeah. I was like, oh man, De Niro's doing some stuff. But it's that last... It's the last half an hour when, when De Niro starts to lose it. I'm like, no, come back, come back. <laughs> but I think any time Pacino's kicking a, like a, a TV out of a car, <laughs> I'm back. <laughs> so well, but, it, but it offers that, I mean, Pacino does all the dark comedy business and, thing, and that's the thing, for people in that kind of job with, with the high stress and the dark shit. With the yeah, zero it's, a, it's the black comedy. The black comedy. Yeah, the gallows. Huge. Yeah, yeah. And, you, and it play like people, I think when you're in the comfort, of, the confines of a lounge room, and you're not on an epic screen in darkness where your focus is extremely on that and you haven't got that, you know, and speaking, you know, we're recording this in the, you know, as the Sydney Film Festival's kicked off. Um, yesterday, just to totally take it off a tangent for a second, I saw the film The Breaker Operas, the brand new Madeline Sammy and Jackie Van Beek film. I saw it twice in one day. Mm. And the first screening I saw at 9am in a screening of media folk who had had interviews and things like that with those people arranged, with the guys arranged. And... They had it arranged like so people could see it. That room, I found the film hilarious and I laughed a lot. But the waves of laughter when you're yeah. in a full theater, like the state theater last night with two and a half thousand people in it, it was a different entity altogether. And even he at the American Essentials Film Festival in a room with a whole bunch of people who are familiar with the film, or maybe not. There's no. a couple of people who hadn't seen it, and there were some people that were very excited. There was that, yeah, you know, that one gentleman came up afterwards, and yeah. he was. Literally obsessed with the film. Yeah, he was trying coming to you for answers. Going, why? Why do I see this? Yeah, like I don't know. Why it's, do I keep watching yeah. it? And and so why, why ask the guy with a podcast <laughs> dedicated to every single minute? I don't get it. Where do you? What kind of an expert are you? Think I got answers? <laughs> the fucker, I'm processing my shit. It's got nothing to do with this you. This is therapy, yeah. motherfucker. <laughs> Take a seat. Get your own podcast. <laughs> uh, but that's the that's the great thing is that when you're in a room, there's something about that. It, it stops being about over-exaggeration and isolation or like watching things as memes. It starts being this really, like, it is a black sardonic humor of a guy who's, that's his only relief. He's like, oh, oh, you know, we, we can't we can't trace the uh, sale on the explosive incident. Oh, that's wonderful. Bang. Yeah. Like, fucking thanks. And it's something De Niro doesn't have a lot no. in it. No, De Niro's very... Humorless, you know, yeah. except when he's smirking. But apart from that, <laughs> he's... Apart from well, smirking. We can do it more with, like, one raised But, eyebrow. I mean, he's got a little... Like, I guess he's got a... Uh, he lets a little bit of humour, and I guess that's mm. what his partner, she allows a bit of light, sort of light into his life. But yes. Yeah, it is a very dark... But it's on the same point. Like I, and, and he's it, fully committed to his thing. Yeah, you saw it You saw it as well as mm. doing the, the spate, um, 2001 the other day in 70 mil at yes. the Orphan. And just there was something reminding me of this and that, of just, you know, the lack of technology in Heat is what's keeping... It seems like this minute. Yes. No technology, no yeah. distractions, just... No. Keeps Char- it timeless. Yeah, character work is keeping it timeless. Same as the modelling mm. in Space Odyssey yeah. is keeping it timeless and the music mm. and the performances. Mm. There's nothing to... Because that'll never date. No. Even mm. the, the, the iconic stuff in that is not dating. Even the like, And same mm. with this is not... This is only ageing well because there's nothing... They've got, what, beepers and the occasional flip phone and, yeah. like, portable phone. But it's not, nothing... It's not over the top. Nothing to no. look at us and go, oh, look what we had back then. And yeah. and, and the the great thing is in, in this, it's about craft. Like, it's about formal craft. Like, there's so many things. And 
and we, we're going to talk about it in the upcoming minutes, so I don't want to sort of uh, like take away from any of the, the, the more in-depth discussions that come along in the minutes, but this, is, this conversation, this dialogue between a man and a woman is the first of four upcoming dialogues that sort of have something to do with one another. And, mm-hmm. and what's awesome about the pre- pre- previous minute that we just talked about, and I think mm-hmm. Stu used the great analogy of like lions looking down at a watering hole, is there's some great dichotomies of people looking down on the, each other or looking yeah, at yeah, their yeah. prey. And it triggers it in that previous scene. So because we unexpectedly and get the lovely surprise of Vincent and his crew that are up there. And then we look at Wayne Grow's gaze, which is a much more perverse and a bit more disturbed. And who then has we, the high ground. Who has the high ground. And then we get another one, which is like, I know what they're looking at. I know what they're looking at. Yeah, you know what they're yeah, like? Yeah. There's that great, there's some great things where people are looking at them from different things. And it's about pipe. It's about power dynamics and assume, or, or presumed power dynamics. Yeah. Looking, looking, gaze, gaze, and there's these. But for dra- the most part, you've got that's the games. Like there's a lot of gamesmanship in this between male and female gamesmanship yes. and the, yeah. the cops and robbers. Yes, everywhere except in yeah. this minute. Yeah, because you don't have two. You've only got yeah. one person. You playing. have someone playing. Got, that's yeah. right. One person. No, right. Only one. Spot on. Yeah. And that's that's the big difference that this yeah. poor girl has stumbled in like. She is completely unaware. Yes. If she had got into another car, it would have been yeah. Richard Gere in the Lotus. <laughs> different movie. Different movie altogether. Different montages. Different montages. She would have had a dressing up for a day of drive. But you know what she did going into Wangro's room? She made a big mistake. Huge. <laughs> oh, God. It is a disturbed minute. It is. But there's nothing like it. I don't think there's even... No, it's, even... The, it's the most pure, dark, evil sort of moment of the film. And in a film that's otherwise very, very nuanced. About and it's darker stuff. even than this, I think, far more than the suicide attempt stuff. Mm. Oh, yes. I like, know. I don't... That still doesn't hit yeah. for me. That doesn't oh, yeah. hit. That yeah. feels out of left field. But yeah. I'm just saying in terms of a, what should be as serious as this hitting right at home, yeah. doesn't come close to... I, and I, yeah. I put it down to the way he captures that movement of Wangro and mm. the look, those... No, it's, it's the eyes. It's the, yeah. the thing where he gets yeah. the, the slow movement and then the, just the focus on the eyes and he's so yeah, quiet for so long. The elvish eyes that he's yeah. got. Yeah. Like, and the only other scene, and I've just only thought about it just because of how I've talked about it, is um, Michael Mann did the incredible adaption of Thomas Harris's Red Dragon, Manhunter. Mm. And there's an amazing conversation, which is William Peterson as Will Graham is talking to Brian Cox playing Hannibal Lecter. Mm in that movie yeah. and having a very civil conversation and Cox does movements like this yeah. in that scene yeah. he does subtle movements and he's so uh, deliberate with the way that he's talking yeah. where Wayne grows a bit more of a mumbler like you know he's not as there's not the finesse there's not the trimmings of like there's advanced no education there's nothing but Wayne grows instinct and poise and that, that like you said that snake like movement but there's still something really powerful of being drawn into someone's the cadence of the way that they speak and and, and that's I think what's so great about this is like you lie to me yeah and that's but, the but, charm he's yeah, just like because he, yeah. getting you in well, because, he's, like I said he, he's all it there's Wangro is not the most certainly not the brightest spark in the world well, no, and you see, he's a pure animal in many well ways. against and Michael when he got in the truck and he's like yeah. can you shut up slick the way he he holds oh, his look oh. like are we going to go here? Like while you're yeah. driving, like he he took that as a threat. The way but what's, he, but what's funny is that now when I reflect on that, for Wayne Grow, so for Michael, it would never have ever crossed his mind or any member of that crew mm-hmm. to interrupt what they're doing because of a bickering. It's just like do your fucking job. Yeah, get back to it. No problem. 
But Wayne Murray took that as re- a slight against He was him. ready to throw it away. Yeah. In that truck. Because someone told him to shut up. Someone told him to shut up. Yeah. So he's in that moment, he's like, and sp- and you see it in this scene mm-hmm. more than anything. Because like you said, Garth, this is like the true channeling of that id, that just like pure, I just have an impulse and I'm going to do it. Which is like... What's well, the classic male thing, which is that people, you know, every other person is either a threat or a conquest. Yes. And you see them as either below you or something on par or above you. And you behave, you change your behavior yeah. differently. Well, to that. But isn't it odd then that he doesn't know when he's the prey in the diner? No, no, he's used to it. But no, but he's eating his pie, and he's about to, you know, he's just eating his pie, and then they're like, "All right, we'll give you a cut." He's like, "Come on, man, I had to get it on." But yeah. it was like then when they go out, he doesn't think he's going out to get whacked. No, no. But it's interesting that he is he's lulled into it there because he just think the crew's the crew, and that's because all part because of it. I think. Now that we talk about those two scenes in reflection, I think the fact that Michael didn't react to him, Wayne goes, I'm Wayne in, goes I'm making in, an assumption. Like, but no, but he's made an assumption. He said, I, I was ready to pick a fight, and that guy was too professional to do it. They're detaching from the personal and the emotional, and they're just being an objective thing. And that's the same thing. Like, they don't want to cause more trouble for themselves. They knew how much he knew. He knew how much Neil was pissed off that they'd killed the cops. And so for him, he's like, oh, no, I'm safe because they won't kill me because they didn't really like those murders. Like, they didn't like the way shit went down. But he's also seeing how well they executed. Yeah. Like, baba bang, all right, done. He, but he thinks he's part of the team. He thinks he's part of the team. Because he's, that's all he knows. He just bounces from... I had to do it, man. Yeah. I had to get it on. Yeah, and, and that probably would be... That would probably, again, placate mm. most angry men yeah. like in the groups. Like, yeah. oh, why'd you... Punch? Like, you know, you go out with mates. Oh, why'd you punch that guy? Oh, well, he was... Doing the X Y Z. Okay, all right. You've given somewhat of a there justification. There was some some justification. Yeah, but it's just interesting that in that sense he's then straight into being the trap, and there is legitimate fear in his face when he gets grabbed. Oh yeah, because he thinks you know I know who these guys are. But it's also familiarity with the grab. But yeah, because he knows he knows what it's like to be the guy who's doing this scene. Yeah, but it, and again, yeah. maybe it is the, the abuse think, going on to be the abuser. And so do you think that this scene was caused in part by that because he felt so... No, no, I just... emasculated slightly because the whole thing, so he's going well, to... I think that's a, maybe a very re- valid theory. Reassert yeah. his dominance over yeah. something and yeah. he's been, you know, he's basically had to run away mm. and, yeah, so he has to go recharge the batteries and mm. go do something. Or, like you said, that it's the just... He, he acts on impulse mm. and he's just an angry... But yeah. I think also there's, that's a really good point. It's it's like He's I don't think I don't think any of us are wrong. I think it's a great way to look at it because you could totally look at it like here's a guy who reflexively probably does want to reassert dominance based on the fact that he was he was he was vulnerable for a, for a split mm-hmm. second because um, he's the cowboy. Everything's about masculine, you know, monster fucker, my young life, blah blah blah. You know, was that good? Whatever. Like that, that feeding the ego to a certain extent. But at the same time, it just doesn't surprise me being oblivious if you're used to constantly being in a position of power and never being vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Especially because I met one on one with a man. Other than like Neil's a very like De Niro at this time. This is like near Cape Fear De Niro. He's yeah. extremely. You know, he might wear this slightly oversized grey suit but he's extremely physically imposing in this movie like mm-hmm. very muscular and very tough and so when he grabs and he's, you know, he's a raging bull like he fucking grabs him he fe- like Wango feels like he's just gonna wilt like in his hands he's gonna he's gonna manhandle it and so what's so interesting is like that was a big shock but it's also I, yeah I think it's great either, either way is that he, I don't think he would ever be used to being vulnerable like that and being mm-hmm. preyed upon but at the same time, I wouldn't be surprised if it's the feed the ego. Because then we, we also get when he goes in to see um, 
who's uh, Van... Um, Roger Van Zandt. Yeah. Like, he's got a very, like... He's almost going in there... I know he's going in as the star recruit. Ooh, I, we took some major scores. But he's sort of going in there, like, he's cocky, but he's a little bit cap in, care, cap in hand, like, going, I'm in, I'm in the world of the privileged. Yes. But then I love when he's in the yeah. hotel and you've got him in the white robe. Yeah. So yeah. what was he, like, was he having a bubble bath before? Because <laughs> he comes like, come this room for a guy who's, like, you wouldn't expect to really be worried about covering up the Aryan Brotherhood tats. Yeah. Like, to be coming out, like, one minute, come out with the shower cap on. He's, like, pouring in the bubble bath. Who is it? Like, yeah, we just, we do get to see a spectrum of him. And I think it's, it's somewhere in between of where he lies. I just love that there's, love there's so much... Because he could totally have been so one note. Yeah, exactly. And what's so incredible about his performance is that that in any given scene, and it's not incongruous, it's not so incongruous that it it doesn't make any sense or it doesn't work. It works because it's unpredictable. And in certain situations, because he's like, he's, he's almost like a cockroach who survives the nuclear holocaust, you know? Like, he's like, he's always just a survivor, like, figuring out a way in any given situation on trying to think of the thing that people want to hear him to say. Mm-hmm. Um, and, like, that's what I take from the... So if we talk specifically about the Van Zandt scene later, he's saying the thing to reassure Van Zandt that Van Zandt exactly wants to hear. Oh, yeah, no, yeah. we took some major yeah, scores. Yeah, it's yeah, a survival. Yeah. Like, yeah. He does whatever it takes to survive. Whatever. And, and, so, you're, and you're right. It's like, he, of all the characters, in the, especially on the crook side, he is the one that could easily have been the, flip, the one most one-dimensional and flat. Yeah, And absolutely. he's not quite... He's not almost the Joker agent of chaos... No, no, he's no, not, not out. No, no, he's not out doing. There's reckless, no calculation, in that and he's way. not doing dumb, reckless stuff. Like he shoots someone because he goes, he overreacts, but it's not to the detriment of anyone else. Like he, yeah, really, that's him getting inside his own head. Yeah, and he's talking to the voices. And who's he talking to? Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Like it you is someone going. Yeah. You're talking to me. Well, he's not ridiculously reckless because he wouldn't have survived by, to this point. Yeah, because he's probably yeah. relatively good at what he does because he yeah. can probably throw it down. I still find. You know, as we're wrapping up, I I find one thing still weird about this on every rewatch. Why De Niro didn't leave him in the ambulance? Didn't just kill him and torture. And leave him him out and torture the whole. And leave him in there when because they blow it up. I mean, they might be worried about anything. They just pull the score. Something comes back. But they're burning, like, they're, he's going to be cremated there's, anyway. There, there's op- but there's that's op- a million what is that, that, in the, There's opportunities know. as well. And a couple of people have said to me, you know, just in sort of passing, like, friends of the podcast or people who come on the show say that the one minute they wonder, they're like, why did they take him to the diner? That's always a big thing. Why don't they take him to, why don't they take him to an abandoned place? And I'm like... You're not well, going to spooky warehouse that's, on it, like, and that And that's my exact answer. <laughs> that gets like, his guard up. I'm yeah. like, yeah, like, that gets his hacks up. Give him little some bit pie. Yeah, A little bit closer. A little bit closer. <laughs> that's all it is. Take it. Yeah, come here. Closer, closer, closer. Bang. And so I, I really... Um, yeah, it's... I'm now, I'm now picturing a hotel room with De Niro on his knees going like, you were the fuck of my young life. <laughs> <laughs> with his head to the same. You were the fuck of my young life. <laughs> Max Katie and then laughing uncontrollably. <laughs> no, but it's a very it's a very odd minute, one that stands out against nearly the rest of the film. Oh yeah. Like for a, yeah, for a film that's all about different shades of grey. Yeah. You know, erotic bad movies not included. <laughs> and actual shades of grey. Yeah. Uh this is probably the blackest. Yeah. Uh, it's yeah. the dark, it's a it's a real dark moment. And look, you guys this week you're gonna you're gonna be getting a treat. You hopefully listen to the Alan McLean episode, um, which is episode fifty six. This is episode fifty seven with Garth Franklin and Stu Coote. 
Um, episode 58, which sort of concludes this minute, is a lovely minute with the ABC journalist um, and former entertainment news reporter Dan Ziffer, um, uh, who, who is the man on the ground at the Royal Commission at the moment. And um, I invited Dan on the show. He's a huge Heat fan and um, thanked me for the walking right into one of the darkest moments yeah, of the nice. entire film. Because <laughs> <laughs> life has been so... <laughs> Sunny in the Vancouver <laughs> Commission. So, so to give him some relief, I brought him into the darkest moment of the film, and it he'd com- probably support the bank thing <laughs> at the moment. The way and, they've been carrying and, on. And, and, and the I said he's been dealing with Roger Van Zandt, but he's the culmination of um, this minute. Also, is I think one of the darkest, um, one of the darkest uh, death scenes in a film that I've seen in a time. And I and I actually say this in the next minute, so it's a little bit of a spoiler to that is. Um, it's like an almost Edgar Wright level match cut, match cut and the only one, one he the, really uses of a bottle of top of a bottle top clicking and, and where a neck is snapping in this movie and it is as dark as it is it's so dark but it's all implied yes but, and not to go because you're probably going to touch on but just say because it's something that struck me again on this watch is like man the discipline only use it once. Yeah. For three hours. Three hours. Doesn't mm. really. I mean, you've pointed out uh, certain geographical, geographical things that cuts, echo, yeah. echo certain echoes. Yeah. Echoes. Yeah. But this is literally the impact of that <laughs> leaves it without a doubt as to what happened. Wow. But then mm. to cut to them with the cigarette mm-hmm. and just the like postcoital back, back on the gear, back, like, on, back on it, like yeah. It's, but again, only does the one. Only like, once. I could have done it easily with other things, like. Ladies and gentlemen. This has been One Heat Minute and a do-over that I've loved which fucking scares me because there's probably more minutes that could be done over. <laughs> you assholes! This has been so good. Um, uh, I can't wait till the whole concept is done over again. No! The reboot. Yeah. Uh, no way, I couldn't do Two it. Two heat minutes. No, 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 no. Don't put ideas in my head. Not in this room, not with rum. Um, ladies and gentlemen, uh, I want uh, to thank my guests, uh, Mr. Garth Franklin, Mr. Stu Hewitt, as, uh, as always, amazing guests on One Heat Minute. Um, help, helping me continuing to reframe and reapproach all the lovely interconnecting sinewy bits of this big muscular beast of a movie and I love it um, and I continue to love it more when I talk to these guys so thank you gentlemen really appreciate it cannot wait Saturday night I'm freaking dying um, to uh, get up there live and talk to you about I mean hey, hey but 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 we're in the business. We're right in one of the greatest, uh, one of the greatest minutes in, I think, arguably the greatest movie of all time. And I think there's not many movies that could deal with the pressure of the scrutiny that we put this bad boy under. Mm-hmm. So thank you so much, um, guys. Thank you so much for listening. As always, subscribing, rating, reviewing, love it. You're amazing. Um, if you uh, want to recommend it to your ten thousand closest friends, I would appreciate that. Um, also, uh, if you want uh, to find out any more information about the show, including contacting us. Um, it is oneheatminute.com for everything. We've got Stitcher, we've got iTunes, we've got other pod stuff all there. You can find it out. Our entire episode list and inventory is there. So if you want to listen back to special episodes. Um, right now, I will do a, a little a little teaser, a little taster for what's coming up. Um, we've got Shu and Garth on this one. We've got Dan Ziffer on the next episode, as I said. And hopefully, um, one of the heads of Universal um, uh, Pictures Australia, Mike Bard, coming on the show to talk about his experiences and love of the, the show Heat. Um, and then... A big hint in this one uh, as a thank you in this do-over episode with these two lovely gentlemen, Manola Dargis, chief film critic of the New York Times and my favourite living film critic, is back for the 60th episode of One Heat Minute. She's going to be on every 30 minutes 
30, 60. She'll be back for 90 as well. That's awesome. So we have a murderer's row in the next couple of episodes. Thank you for listening to two of my favourites who've ever done this show. Um, I've been Blake Howard. This has been One Hit Minute. Thank you, gentlemen. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Garth Franklin, for our website designer. I can tap him on the arm as I say that. Thank you to Paul Davies for his arm. <laughs> if we are in that room. Uh, thank you to Paul Davies for our music, and we'll catch you on the next episode of One Hit Minute. See you guys. Bye.